It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, it is the Tankathon mailbag day. We've gotten to the most important week of the year, which quickly became apparent early in the season, the way things started for the Bengals 0-11 before they won their first game. So we'll take your questions as the Bengals head down to Miami this week. Meanwhile, Washington plays New York, and all four of the teams picking in the top four spots of the draft are playing each other. But as always, we'll update you on the latest Bengals news and notes first from the Pro Bowl announcements to A.J. Green news to injury updates. We've got you covered. We'll start with the good news, Joe, and that is that Geno Atkins has been selected to his eighth Pro Bowl, the Bengals' longtime standout defensive tackle. Again, we'll represent the Bengals on the AFC All-Star team, and eight is a significant number for defensive tackles, isn't it, Joe? It is, and looking at recent Hall of Famers from the 2000s and late 90s, guys like Warren Sapp, uh, John Randall, Cortez Kennedy, uh, eight is the mu- the maximum. Seven for Sapp and Randall, eight for Kennedy. Uh, hitting eight for Atkins is probably when they you know do this, and probably next year, right? We're at the end of the decade. Uh, he'll make the all-decade team and probably be the D-tackle next to Aaron Donald, I assume, even though Donald only gets six years in this decade. Uh, but that's that goes a long way in terms of national support and getting a player into the Hall of Fame. So I think uh, these are all good things for Geno Atkins for uh, most players that go unrecognized in Cincinnati. It would be great for the Bengals to get another Hall of Famer. We'll also get news on Thursday about the senior class, and we'll find out whether the Bengals' Kens get their nominations for the Hall of Fame in the upcoming senior expanded class voting that we're going to see. Now, shifting gears a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit more about A.J. Green. Yesterday, it was reported by Tyler Dragon of the Cincinnati Enquirer that the Bengals were willing to use a franchise tag to keep Green around at least one more year if they can't get to a long-term deal. That same report from Tyler Dragon said that the sides are not close right now. And so today, when A.J. Green faced the rest of the Bengals beat writers, the franchise tag was all the talk. Ben Baby has several quotes from A.J. Green on his Twitter timeline, including one that says, A.J. said, I hate the franchise tag. I hate the rookie scale, the fifth-year option. I hate all that stuff. So it sounds like A.J. Green is a future NFLPA representative, right? Lobbying for player rights, making sure players are paid their fair market value. And inevitably, as we've seen in many cases in the past for the Bengals, when a player falls out with the organization, fans seem to turn and take the organization's side. The only case in recent history that I can recall when this didn't happen was Andrew Whitworth's departure that was unanimously unpopular for Mike Brown. But you go back and you look at Justin Smith, Corey Dillon, Chad Johnson, Carson Palmer, the Bengals have a history of parting with their superstars, their franchise players, not with retirement, but with trades or with disgrace. 
yeah, they seem to be disgruntled when by the time they leave. I'm, I'm just, it's such a shock and a, a rapid pace, even though it's been a long season and a long time since we've seen AJ Green. The rapid descent into he's sandbagging it, he's holding out, uh, he's does has no intention on playing. All the rumors and things you hear people say and and fans comment uh, in support of. See, is that is it, I was going to say, is that supporting the team or is that just being disgruntled and fed up with a superstar player that's done everything he should have? In fact, with one year left on his contract, even showing up to OTAs and training camp and getting hurt that first day uh, shouldn't have happened. Either you're going to sign him or he probably should have held out now that we look back at it. Could have taken an approach similar to other veterans around the league. There was even a deal for Julio Jones around the same time, and reports are that AJ isn't even looking for a Julio-level deal. He'd be happy to take a little bit less, but he wants to get that security, that long-term contract, because he knows this is the last chance in his career to do so. He's talked about it. He said, if you're 30, 31, they franchise you. That's an extra year. 32-year-old, people aren't going to give you a long-term deal. So Green, as we all are, is aware of the business realities of the NFL and aging players. You don't see wide receivers continue to be successful into their 30s, And A.J. Green knows that that's the case, and he's trying to secure, again, that last paycheck. And you can't really blame him for it. He's been a superstar his entire career. Salaries keep going up. He just wants to get what's his. And you really can't blame the team at this point if they use the franchise tag. It is their last resort. It is their only option. It is extremely hard to spend a lot of money or throw a lot of money at A.J. Green when you haven't seen him play in a year and a half. And... Is he healthy? You really won't know. Your option come March is we have to slap the tag on him and reserve the right to find out if he's going to be healthy and find out if he's going to be uh, a number one type receiver still late into his 30s like a lot of Hall of Fame receivers are. Jake and I were talking about this on Twitter the other day, and I went and looked at recent history of Hall of Fame receivers and really even very good receivers. They don't miss a year and a half this late in their 30s and just – you know, uh, come back and bounce back and regain and be that number one guy again. This is really rare territory, and I think the Bengals need to tread lightly. Just to wrap up your latest Bengals news, the Bengals had a couple players that are on the injury report. John Miller didn't practice with concussion. Michael Jordan didn't practice with a neck injury, and Darius Phillips was out with an illness. The rest of the players that didn't practice today for the Bengals were not injury-related veteran rest days, or they were A.J. Green, who we don't expect to practice. For the Dolphins, a lot of players limited. Alan Hearns, Nick Needham, Devontae Parker are the most impactful players there. Generally a very depleted roster. And you heard yesterday that it will be an interesting game, let's say. Although Miami has been much better at home. Before we get into our mailbags, Joe, we are going to tell the good people about Abco Safety, our fantastic three-time returning sponsor located in Cincinnati, Ohio, what kind of cool safety gear are we looking at today? I'm looking at different lighting and lights. There's a uh, pack of pen lights, which sounds awesome. And I was looking for a headlamp because I was painting. Well, I was painting an action figure today, and I needed some lighting. But look at this. This is a flash baton, 16 inches. What is that? That looks like a lightsaber, man. And I know you love your lightsabers. You got one for yourself when you were down in Disney in Florida. You can get yourself another one over on www.abcosafety.com. And if you think those prices are too high, give them a call at 513-672-1818 and mention Locked On Bengals. They'll establish corporate pricing for you as their customer. Give them a shot for quoting your safety equipment because they will save you money. That's Abco Safety, 
513-672-1818. Growing concern that the Bengals may screw this all up and we sit through a terrible historic season all for nothing as the Dolphins and the Browns are on the horizon and both look pretty winnable as the Browns are cracking. And actually the Bengals are a better team than the Dolphins, I think, Jake. But first question is going to go on that theme. It's from Devin Thomas at Hardy McNotsoft. If the Bengals bungle the tank, who would they take at three overall, assuming Burrow and Young are gone? Tua? Maybe? Probably not. Well, Tua is a possibility if he practices, for Mm -hmm. sure. And then you could look at a wide receiver, I think, like C.D. Lamb. You could look at an offensive tackle, for sure. It sounds like the top tackle seems to growing consensus around Jedrick Wills, the Alabama right tackle, not Andrew Thomas. I read today a That's scouting. Surprising. I read today a scouting report that said Wills has lighter feet than Thomas. Called Thomas heavy-footed. Interesting. It it is a little bit surprising. Uh, yeah, that's a th- really good question, though, right? Like, who who else is there? The best value at that point is a guy like C.D. Lamb or one of these offensive tackles. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe more Jerry Judy if he's. If he tests better than Lamb, I could see the Bengals looking at the receiving core and saying we need more explosiveness out of or that group. Derek Brown. Yeah, Derek Brown, Auburn D tackle man. He's good. He's gonna be really good. He's gonna be at, like he's gonna go six, seven, eight, I think, unless he blows up the combine at that size too. Uh, and he's gonna be a stud. He's gonna be a guy we look back on and say he's a top three pick. But um, every, every time one of these offensive tackles goes early, they seem. The, all these can't miss defensive tackles the last few years. Quinton Williams, he's been fine. He's still young. He still has time. Who was it two years ago? Who was a can't miss Alabama guy or whoever it was two years ago? There, there was another one. I was Deron Payne in them two years ago. Was, is that who it was? Wasn't there another top five tackle two years ago and three years ago? Mm, I don't know. Ed Oliver was last year, obviously, too, with Quinton Williams. And would you nine. rather have Oliver or Quinton Williams right now? Oh, I think Oliver's playing well. Yes. He, he's got a strong rotation, though, and the Jets have nothing. Correct. Uh, yeah, the Quinton Williams is, is surrounded by nothing, but Ed Oliver's really come on down the stretch. Yes. Anyway, who, who's your guy at three? I was going to say, so I mentioned Jerry Judy. I think uh, Jeffrey Okuda, too, if you want to look at a corner that high. If anything, Ohio State has produced some corners. They've kind of missed on the offensive line and other positions, but – uh, corner has been strong for them recently with Lattimore and Ward. I, I, I see no reason why Okuda is not a top six, seven pick. And if he uh, tests really well, why not? I think corner could definitely be a sneaky need. I think you still evaluate Tua based on health. And I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Herbert found a way to win the offseason when the film is kind of put down and everyone steps away from it and the Bengals fall for that, which he, sounds like a nightmare scenario. He's senior bowl eligible too, so the Bengals yeah. – if they well, if they screw up, they won't get a closer look at him there. But everyone will get a little bit more of a look if any of these guys go to the Senior Bowl. There's also the possibility, and Travis is convinced that Miami is going to take Tua, and so there's a possibility that Burrow gets to three if somebody doesn't. Because tra- if it's if it's Miami, New York, Cincinnati, there's a chance Burrow gets to three anyway if Miami is truly in love with Tua. And Dave Gettleman continues to not trade back and takes Derek Brown because he loves defensive tackles, Travis Etienne because he loves running backs, or Chase Young because that makes sense. Right. There's a chance that Burrow gets there to three anyway. If the Bengals 
screw this up and end up number three because then the uh, declaration would be about January 15th for underclassmen. So we would need Tua and we would need Chase Young to declare in order to have any semblance of hope. If they do not, then sound the alarms and I may not show up for the Lockdown podcast anymore, to be honest with you, because that would be such a heartbreaker. I might not show up if they win these two games, Jake. You may come here on that Sunday after the Browns game and I'm like, I don't know, man. That's it. Well, that could be their whole podcast because that's going to be both of us, right? You're right. That it's would not, be an entertaining episode. It's not just you. It'd be we could we could recap the lovely run we've had together here. We we've grown the podcast. We've done some really nice things, and then we could say, now now I'm going to be a fan of of this other team instead, right? Or just the NFL and watch fun players only, fun players and competent organizations only. Put it on the board. That's the quote. And by fun players, we mean fun quarterbacks. There's like five yep. or six. And sure. also like Tyran Matthew. Sure. Stephon Gilmore. Yeah. I like pass rushers. Pass rushing is a, it's a part of my heart to watch those guys. So I could watch a lot of those elite, like benders and, sure. you know, Vaughn Millers and those types. To your point, real quick, that the Bengals are a better team than Miami. Football Outsiders agrees with you. They think the Bengals are only the fourth worst team is that right? Fifth worst team in the NFL. By DVOA, the Bengals are better than Carolina. Sorry, this is just offense. No, this is total. The Bengals are better than Carolina by weighted DVOA, which is crazy. Mm. They're better than Washington. They are just slightly worse than the New York Jets. They're better than Jacksonville. And they're better than Miami. I can see it. They yeah. played well since this, you know, the bye week. Our next question, Calum at Calum812 Lockard asks, what is your guys' listener count compared to the other locked-on NFL teams, Cowboys, Pats, Steelers, etc.? Typically, we're in the top 15 or so, right, Jake? You look at these numbers. I actually stopped looking after. We were top 10 for a while, and then the season got bad, and I kind of stopped looking. It's it's actually impossible to tell unless David tells us directly. Early in the season, David being the guy who owns the network, uh, early in the season, we were roughly 4% of the NFL podcast listenership, which is an overrepresentation compared to what it would be if you just divided the number of podcasts by an even amount. We were overrepresented compared to like, it'd be 3% or something if everyone mm-hmm. was equal. So we were definitely on the higher end. I think that we are behind some of the bigger markets for sure. I think Green Bay and, the, and Kansas City are two of the most listened to. But I also haven't really kept track much lately, although this week has been good to us compared to the last few weeks. We're up over 4,000 for every episode this week, whereas in previous weeks, we were more middle 3,000s. That's what I was going to hope you were going to touch on. Yeah, so about 4,000 of you listen per day. And during like drafts, uh, draft weekend and some of the, some of our draft episodes too, uh, we were really up there reaching 6,000 or just shy of that. So uh you know, we do appreciate everyone that's listening. And if you're listening, you are one of typically about 4,000 people on on good days. And it changes, it shifts, right? I think there's probably sure. more than 4,000 unique listeners. But thank you, Caleb. I think this is the first time I've seen your name in the mailbag. Same for Devin Thomas, Hardy McNotsoft. I think I would remember Hardy McNotsoft. So thanks for the new questions, the new question askers for this mailbag. Next one's from a longtime uh, follower and someone I've interacted with, Jason Pike. How much of the running game's improvement is due to Joe Mixon, and how much is due to the line improvement? And with that said, do you pay top dollar to re-up Mixon, or as good as he is, is he replaceable with an improved line? 
There's so many things going on in this question. So how much of the running game's improvement is due to Joe Mixon versus the offensive line? I think most of it is due to Joe Mixon. Part of it is due to a change in scheme that plays Mm -hmm. more to the strengths of the guys they have on the offensive line. And the third smaller part is actual tangible improvement from the individual players on the offensive line. Mike Jordan is playing a little bit better. He didn't practice today with a neck injury, today being Wednesday. So we'll see if he plays this week or if he's dinged up. John Miller's been up and down. Cordy Glum is the next guy I was going to talk about. He's been an improvement at left tackle, and you would expect him to be. He's at least average at left tackle, and the guys they've been rolling out there are guys that probably aren't in the NFL if they're not on the Bengals. Mm-hmm. Bobby Hart, still Bobby Hart and run blocking, no change there. So what's changed? Joe Mixon is breaking tackles. He's broken more tackles in the last six weeks than maybe all of last year. Or, or, it was or close. close. 34 to 29, 34 all year last year, 29 in the last six weeks. And we've noticed that it's, 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 it's like very obvious, right? Because instead of just lowering his shoulder, running into contact, going down, he's actually running through tackles. Now he's using his elusiveness. He's using a stiff arm. He's much more elusive than he has been in the past. And the acceleration and the vision are still pretty good. And those things, the vision was totally gone early in the season until they yep. came back after the bye. We talked about the changes to the running game. So do you re-sign him? Well, if you have a rookie contract for your quarterback, maybe if they don't retain A.J. Green, well, then suddenly you have a lot of money to do so. But this is still a running back. Can you look at all the running backs in the NFL right now in their late 20s that got paid? David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, Zeke's still good, but you, you can go through a list of guys and about half of them totally fall off a cliff. Just the risk of injury and not coming back from the injury is so high that it's just really hard for me, even though Joe Mixon is great, to, to justify it, especially because, as you've talked about, Elijah, he doesn't have the passing game impact of an Alvin Kamara or a Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I got a few points here. Uh, you touched on all of them, but a couple. One for me is the missed tackle thing, right? Avoiding tackles, breaking tackles. When early in the year when we'd criticize Mixon, I, I got a lot of heat, I think, from people that enjoy Joe Mixon, as we all do. But people say, oh, no, it's the O-line, it's the O-line. I'm like, yes, we know the O-line sucks. But you can see the difference now, right? Like, if you're that guy that were that defended Mixon in the first eight weeks, you definitely see the last six weeks is completely different. And it's not just the O-line. It's because Mixon's playing. He went from shitty to really fucking good in a, in a uh, flip of a switch. And that's what we expected. We expected this, Joe Mixon, uh, what we're seeing, especially at his age, year three. Uh, I think, you know, in a functional offense, more functional, this is what we should have gotten all year. But it took them so long to figure it out. And he was rusty. So some goes on to him. Uh, and I, so I like that point of just, you know, you can, we can defend good players that we like, but when that when you see it and he actually is playing well, it makes you not want to defend them when they're not playing well. We've got to be honest with, with our evaluations. And I will also go on with the, uh, you look at veteran contracts for running backs and they instantly sink cost. They're like buying a used car. You drive it off the lot. That is it. You've lost half the value it depreciates right then and there with a running back look at go pull up go to spot track or over the cap uh go to the top value running backs that have you know veteran contract running backs the only one that's up there that's not on a veteran contract is saquon barkley because his pick's so high and even that's a bad contract for a running back you look at it they're all bad they're all being outperformed by a backup or could be outperformed by a backup you look at even zeke elliott who's still having a decent year he's on he's got 1100 yards 
if you took the five best runs from the Cowboys this year, three are Elliott, two are probably Tony Pollard, and who the hell is Tony Pollard? And I, then you look at it and you go, you can get the same production. And when you start getting into metrics and um, expected points average and things like that, the running game has to be spectacular. It has to be what the Bengals have had the last six weeks. Great running game, right? And they're barely now being positive barely being positive uh, for expected points every time Mixon touches the ball. He has to be near perfect for it to be even be worth it or even above replacement level. It's very unsustainable on the year. Uh, what Mixon has done is extremely replaceable by a, an average third round running back uh, that you would draft. And, and until he's much more dynamic or used in the passing game, uh, he's just not a difference maker. You can find what he has done from a lot of guys. It happens every single year running backs come into this league and can run an average four and a half yards per carry and catch three balls a game. Do we have his average EPA for like the last six weeks? Yeah, John Sheeran sent it to me. It was like point zero 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 three six. Average EPA for running backs just isn't that high. And you make a good point about the top contracts in the NFL, right? So here's some names. So you can tell me how these guys are winning their team games. And I'm not going to listen to you if you think Ezekiel Elliott is a reason Dallas is winning. Todd Gurley's number two. Le'Veon Bell is number three. David Johnson's number four. Devontae Freeman's number five. Then Barkley. Then Jarek McKinnon is six. He's not even playing this year. Right. Fournette, six point seven million, is in there. Lamar, Lamar Miller, Duke Johnson, and then finally you get to the first contract on this list that I think is actually probably good value for what they're getting, and that's Mark Ingram in Baltimore, right. five yeah, million dollars right. a year. He's paid just a little bit more than Gio Bernard and Dion Lewis, both of whom are doing nothing. Christian McCaffrey still on his rookie deal comes in next and then it's a bunch of rookie deals or cheap deals for for running backs so what does that tell you and it sucks right because i want to be on joe Mixon's side right i'm pro player i want him to get paid but just the reality for running backs is especially for bengals fans if mike brown gives joe Mixon a big contract they're going to use it as, as an excuse so i hope somebody else pays joe Mixon, and i hope he gets his and i hope that the bengals Use those, use that money wisely. Invest in more valuable positions, and and win. Right, that right. that's what we have to hope for. And we have a bunch more questions to get to, but first, Joe has to tell you about one of our sponsors. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper Faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Topic of the day is AJ Green, and next question is from Kevin Brown. Why is AJ so against getting franchised? 
If he negotiates now, he will have a, he'll get a weak contract. If he gets franchised and plays well next year, he can negotiate a lot more money. What am I not seeing? He could bet on himself, but I think he made his position on this pretty clear in that Ben Baby quote that I talked about in our first five minutes of the episode, and that was that 32-year-olds don't get contracts. Unless they're Larry Fitzgerald, you are just not going to get a long-term deal. So you can play out the franchise, sure, and then maybe someone will give him another one-year deal. Maybe, if he's lucky, he'll get a two-year deal. If I'm the Bengals, I'm probably going to him with like a three-year deal, and and you front-load it. Yeah. And it's got to be incentive laden. And if he's healthy, then he gets nope. paid and he gets paid good. Nope. None of that. Just, just put all the money just give in it there. To him? Yeah. I, I, I'm not, it's, it's Mike Brown's money. It's not my money, but Mike Brown has a ton of money. And if he sells the team, the $60 million that he pays AJ green is, is less than 1% of yeah, the money right. he makes. If he sells the team. You're right. I'm trying to think of it from a football building perspective. It doesn't, of it doesn't matter. The, the cap's up to $200 million next year. The Bengals never spend up to the cap anyway. They're, they're, they're going to spend $7 million on Bobby Hart. Cut Bobby Hart, pay that money to A.J. Green, and now it's not even a raise. We've said this so many times, it's though. Easy. Why did they, they could have paid Andrew Whitworth if they had just cut Ray Maluga three weeks earlier. It's easy, but they don't do it. They don't do the easy things that would help them keep their franchise players late in the career when they're still effective. Right, guys? Right. They're still effective. That's the thing. And, and we have no reason to believe that AJ Green can't be effective. You are worried about chronic foot issues at this point because this has been an issue for him for forever. But you either pay him or you don't. You let him go. So the, the, to answer the question, why is he so against it? Because it's a one-year deal. And I know it's like $18 million guaranteed to be franchised. It sounds great. But again, he was on a one-year deal this year making nearly that much, and he got hurt as soon as he showed up for camp. And nothing is guaranteed now for him for the future. If he got hurt again, two two years, three years in a row, he would be completely. He'd get a Demarius Thomas deal, but he'd get veteran minimum one year deal from the Patriots and Jets, and that's not where he wants to end up. And then you're leaving sixty million dollars on the. T- I mean, maybe not. Maybe he's leaving thirty million dollars on the table, and maybe you're mm-hmm. thinking, ah, who cares? Thirty million dollars. He's made ninety million dollars already in his career. Yeah. But I mean, these guys just want to get paid while they can. Right, this, and they, they want to be Green's secure to make too. This money again. Yeah. Anyway, it's like if you, at your job, Jake, if they said, "Okay, if you liked your job, let's say," and they said, "We'll give you a four-year contract," that'd be much better than a one-year deal and have that security for four years making this much money. Obviously, you take that. You'd want that. I don't think you. Yeah, sure. I don't think you can even compare normal people jobs to football jobs because there's not a risk that I'm going to suffer an injury in the course of my job and never be able to work again. Oh, I have that risk. Abco safety, though. They look out for me. Next question comes from ISO Joe at Jonah Wheeler. Is it weird I'm going to buy and wear a Dolphins hat on Sunday? Not weird at all, actually. A little I think weird. you should. Do you think so? No, we're rooting against the Bengals. No, but here's Lose. the thing. Get fucked up. I want them to go out there and get demolished by the worst team I've ever seen. But here's the thing. By wearing a Dolphins hat, you're rooting for the Dolphins to lose. Okay, so this is reversing reverse, right? No, no. It's just... You want what's best for the Bengals, so you wear your Bengals gear in the ah. hopes that the best happens for your favorite football team. You wear you wear a Dolphins hat. That's You're just inviting it. right now. Yeah. You're blowing my mind. I'm yeah. thinking of all these Bengals fans that show up and cheer their team on at Paul Brown Stadium. Like, yeah, I win. And I'm like, in my in the back of my mind, I'm like, you guys are so dumb. You guys, We should be rooting for a loss. But you're saying they're not. They're rooting for the best interest of the team long term. No, it's not. it's not the intent that matters, though. 
it's it's the it's the you're inviting karma by wearing a dolphin's hat is all i'm saying Mm. you're inviting the cosmic forces of the world to do bad things i pulled out of storage a carson palmer orange number nine jersey and i've been slowly removing the stitching from it (laughs) i I plan to wear it sunday night if everything goes well can you reuse any letters you can't they're totally different letters palmer yeah okay Yeah, but I I looked on Amazon and they have uh, iron-on letters or uh, even even iron-on patch uh, like sewn-on letters. Get get yourself a sewing machine, Joe. I have one. What do you think I make costumes without a sewing machine? I think you 3D print them. Now you're talking. Next Next question. question. Get up six thoughts on drafting Justin Jefferson, wide receiver from LSU, to to pair with Joe Burrow. What round do you think he'll go? You got any thoughts on that, Jake? I don't have very many thoughts on that. I think that Jefferson is what a second, third round kind of prospect right now. He's not so much an outside guy. I think that if you were to compare him to a player on the Bengals, he most closely resembles Tyler Boyd with probably a little bit better run after catch ability. Uh, I I don't know. Sure. You could go get him. I think that they need an outside guy more than they would need a guy like Justin Jefferson. And if Jamar Chase was in the draft, I'd love Jamar Chase. He's going to be, He's going to be really good, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe what if he's there later than expected? If he's there at the top of the fourth round on day three, top of the third, even maybe. it's a good class though. So we'd have to rank them. This is all going to change. This is very early. We've started yeah. draft talk extremely early because of the number one pick. Someone asked me, "What are you going to talk about round two options?" And I'm like, "February at the uh, combine." You should because... be. You should be happy we're talking about this at all in December. Right. Normally, I'm not even. I. You didn't get to hear this part when I on the crossover because uh, Travis and I recorded two episodes. But I don't normally start watching until when I assume coaches start watching, which is in January, so yeah. around Senior Bowl time. Uh, so this is for me to even ha- know who Justin Jefferson is at this time, and I'm not even questioning if that's his first name as I'm saying it out loud. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, but uh, yeah, I to even know who he is right now is pretty crazy. But it also brings up a bigger question, I think, Jake. The re- receiver position. If the Bengals aren't picking up the fifth-year option on Ross, which they probably shouldn't unless he destroys these next two games, which could happen, I guess. Uh, and even then, you'd have to debate it, right? And then A.J. Green, if he's only on a franchise tag or walks, which both seem pretty plausible as we sit today, the Bengals need a receiver pretty yeah. bad. If they're if they're not going to give A.J. Green money, how do they justify paying John Ross? How are you going to get behind paying John Ross if you're not going to get behind paying A.J. Green? A.J. Green, at least you know he's good. John Ross is is a toolkit that can't that's that's held together with with Elmer's glue and and <laughs> like I, I mean you need is this, this is this the equivalent of going with Oboihi and letting Wit walk? Is it? it maybe a little. I mean, that, but. I, Here's the difference, though, is we knew a boy he sucked. The Bengals didn't. I don't think – I think Ross sucks. I think he's unreliable as hell. But it's the same It's the same impact. And the step sure. down from Green to Ross is almost as substantial as it was from Whitworth to, to a boy. Even if Ross is a fine player, you're going from all-world player to fine player. Right. And it's, it's, it's a less impactful position than left tackle. So the 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 – the fifth-year option for John Ross is a really interesting conversation because it is a lot of money to commit 
to Ross. 15 million or so. Yeah, and you're talking about an $18 million franchise tag for AJ Green. I, it's just. I, Boyd's making 12 by that time. you really going to pay John Ross that money when he's played, what, eight games in his career or something? <laughs> right. It's something like that. Our last question for today's mailbag comes from Travis Parker at underscore Muddlebox. What do you think a Muddlebox is? Hmm. I instantly think of something Harry Potter. Mm, that's Muggle. Yeah, I get that. But that's a it, slur, Joe. You're not. We're not allowed to say that on the podcast. No, but I'm thinking like a muddle box is a box for sure. But like they have to deal with muggles. But there's definitely some type of mud muzzle in this box. You open it and it silences them with a mouthful of mud. I've never heard of a muddle box, but I've heard of muddling drinks. It's where you take a little pestle and you you grind up the herbs. So like if you're making a mojito, you grind up the the mint with a muddler. The, the hitos. Is that right. Now I'm questioning that the way you were questioning Justin Jefferson's name. Anyway, he <laughs> asks, let's say we get Burrow at number one overall. What are the realistic expectations for the 2020 season for the Cincinnati Bengals? I just put Burrow through my um, scouting and process, you know, outgrade players one through 10. And I haven't used this much or, or showed it much because we kind of altered it last year for the draft. So I, I haven't updated a lot of my veteran grades for the Bengals, but I just put them through. And, like, Dalton's best year, 2015, he came away at, like, a 77.7, which is pretty good. That's a, you know, his best year. He's down to a 72 right now, which is as low as he's ever been. Um, but Burrow, as I went through on the first pass, comes out just shy of a 79. So 78 and some change. And I'm like, oh, that feels way too high if if Dalton was a 77 and some change when he in 2015, his best year. But then I came back to it the next day, and I said, no, it's right. He's better in almost every significant way to Andy Dalton. And I think if you throw him on this roster right here and you've got Andy Dalton has given you the worst quarterback play of the veterans in the league right now, of the starters, the guys, especially the guys that were meant to be starters this year, not the Mason Rudolphs and Kyle Allen's. Those guys weren't ever projected to be starter. So you're getting the worst quarterback play in the league. Of course you're one in 12 or one in 13, whatever it is. Uh, I think with even average quarterback play this year, you've got at the end of the year, maybe five or six wins on a bad team, but that's okay. That's probably what I would expect from a rookie Joe Burrow, kind of how Kyler Murray is doing for the Cardinals, where they probably will end up with four or five wins. But I think Joe Burrow is a more pro-ready prospect than we've yep. seen since, I don't know, it's been a while. Maybe Baker Mayfield's similar, but I think Burrow is even more advanced than than Baker was. And I haven't given it the rubric thought that you have where I grade different attributes but it doesn't surprise me at all to hear that he's graded better than Dalton's best year you put Burrow right now at 23 years old or 22 he just turned 23 right on the 2015 Bengals how good is that team how much how different is that team if they if they have I mean they have Hugh Jackson that year right he's a coordinator so that means you're playing to the strengths of your quarterback because Jackson mm -hmm. for all his faults was a very good offensive coordinator and and how good how much better is that team with Joe Burrow at quarterback well, they're more dynamic. You know, even in Dalton's best year, you see they had to protect him and keep him in certain situations. They had to get the ball out quickly. They had to not let him go off script. They still couldn't let him get pressure, and he didn't. Everything worked well because you had someone open on every play uh, with all the weapons they had. So, And because of the scheme. And Dalton was playing well. We're not taking that away from him. Yeah. I just uh, On baseline, Burrow is so much more dynamic and well-rounded and has every trait that Dalton doesn't mostly like anticipation, pocket presence, ability to create off script. And those are yeah. huge factors. 
And you have to make sure those translate to the NFL. They don't always translate immediately. So when I say put Joe Burrow on the 2015 Bengals and how good are they, that assumes that all those skills transfer to the NFL. And there's always a chance that what we, but but more often than not, the player that we see in college is the player that we see in the NFL. Or or maybe they get a little better. I was actually going to do a whole segment on this because I was ranting in my car the other day coming home from work 5 a.m. about this, that you go back 10 to 15 years ago and you'd watch quarterbacks when the spread and read option stuff was really taken off in, in um, college football, especially the spread stuff. I would scout and I, I've been scouting for about 12 years amateur wise. I had been paid as a professional scout before, but I, I'm talking when I was doing this, it was there's maybe five throws that I can take away that are NFL throws. There's maybe five eight circumstances, situations that are similar to NFL, and it would be hard to project these players. Not just quarterback, left tackles would never get down in a three-point stance. There was a lot of positions that took hits while evaluating, and it made it very risky that sometimes I wasn't sure what these guys would be in in the pros. And then the NFL game had to adjust. You saw that huge gap between these guys that are 40-year-old quarterbacks, the Peyton Mannings, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and then a huge gap of these guys that are in their 20s or so uh, that are good. And it's because I think it took a while for the NFL to figure out we can't just uh, insert these guys and drop pack passing pro-style offense. We need to start running a little bit of what they did. First guy, remember, RG3, right? Coming out of Baylor, Kyle Shanahan and, and, and Mike Shanahan in that offense. Instantly, they said, okay, we're going to do this and do a lot of stuff that he was doing, and it worked. He had an instant success. RG3 is kind of a butt of jokes sometimes, but go back to that rookie year was fantastic, amazing, and things didn't work out for him. But slowly but surely, the NFL has absorbed a lot of what the college is doing, and they did it out of necessity because they couldn't find players uh, to hit the ground running the way they expected. And now when I watch college players – you watch Joe Burrow, it's a very pro-style offense, right? And they're still running RPOs and, and QB um, um, draws and, and, and read options and stuff. But that's what's going on in the NFL. And you watch Joe Burrow in LSU, you say, if he throws it 50 times, 50 of them, this is what this is what you will run in the NFL. These are all transferable plays. So it happens way less now where a guy is completely different in the NFL because he's got to adapt to a different scheme. We talked about Mike Vick the other day, right? It was you and I. No, I think it was a guy I work with. Uh they made Mike Vick run a regular ass pro style offense. Remember that in 20, 2000, early two thousands? Like that's not what they did with Lamar Jackson. They made Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson of Louisville, is Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. He's the exact same player. Kyler Murray is running the exact same thing he did at Oklahoma. That's why they look like themselves. So I think you're going to get Joe Burrow look like Joe Burrow if you run Joe Burrow's offense. Yeah, it's a matter of adapting to the strengths of these players that are doing very good things at the college level and not forcing a round peg into a square hole and the game evolves from the college ranks up and has Mm -hmm. for the entire history of the NFL. We'll see if the Bengals can get it right. I mean, they're going to have an opportunity here to get a quarterback and hopefully they get one of the ones that we like, but we have still what four months until the draft in Las Vegas. We'll have plenty more time to talk about this. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. We'll be back tomorrow getting us ready for the game of the season, week 16, the championship. Lose and you're in. That's all it takes. And until then, Bengals fans, have a good one.